Well, I'm so glad to see you. It is time for my favorite holiday of the year. And I know you'd say it was Christmas, but Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving. All I have to do is eat and watch football. It's a great holiday. I think it's a holiday created for men, you know? And then after that, I paid dearly for the rest of the season for sitting around and eating and watching football all day long, and the decorations began. I'm so glad to see you. You want to join us here Tuesday night for our annual Thanksgiving service. Uh, we began this, uh, oh, years and years ago, and it just stands out as one of the best times of the year when we gather. Well, I want to talk to you in light of Thanksgiving about enough just enough. I was praying and seeking the Lord about the message, and I changed messages from what I was going to speak recently because of an experience I had while I was in prayer. And this is going to sound a little funny, but in prayer, I was just giving God thanks and for his blessings upon our life, and thanks for our church and his blessings upon our life. And all of a sudden, this memory of my dad at Thanksgiving dinner, he would push back from the table and he would go, enough. And he'd just sit there and everybody would say, here, have some." He'd go, no, it's enough. I've had enough. And he says, I'll fight you before I eat any more at this table right now. And he would stand up and my, call my sisters and we were talking about, he would stand up and he would rub his belly and he'd say, I've got a lot of money invested right here. But one of the things I loved about my dad, he always knew when enough was enough. And sometimes I find out we don't know when enough is enough. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about certain things in nature that they never know when there's enough. And even the Bible says that the grave never knows when enough is enough. And I wonder if you and I really know when enough is enough. I think there's a marvelous picture of this in the Bible about the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Dead Sea. I did something I will never do again. I went into the Dead Sea. I went in and I floated. You can't really swim in it. You can move around in it. You can't ski on it. It's too dangerous to ski on. It's 10 times saltier, actually 9.6 if you want me to be specific, 10 times saltier than the ocean. But it's always receiving life-giving water from the Jordan River. As a matter of fact, there's another story in the Bible that talks about the healing waters of, of the Jordan River. And so here's the Dead Sea. It's a part of that great rift. It's the lowest place on the earth that goes all the way into Africa. Here's the Dead Sea where no fish live in it, no microorganisms that we're aware of that live in it. But here's the Dead Sea receiving these life-giving waters, but because it has no outlet and it never gives away, it simply doesn't know when enough is enough. As I thought about that in preparing for this message, I thought about how often God pours life-giving waters into our life every single day of our lives. And the key to a successful life is waiting, knowing that God is going to bless us. And as he pours into our lives, we're not poorer for becoming givers. It's thanksgiving. We're not poorer for becoming givers, but we're richer. And as I began thinking about this, God doesn't want us to be Dead Sea people. He wants us to be Jordan River people. He wants us to be people that constantly are finding ourselves replenished and renourished with the life-giving streams of water that comes. 
And so when I look at this a little carefully, then what I see is that Jesus becomes my model for giving, for generosity. Jesus becomes my model for what it means to be a life-giving giver, for what it means to bring refreshment, life, healing, encouragement, inspiration, renewal, refreshing. Jesus becomes our model for that because when Jesus touches you and saves you and fills you with his Holy Spirit, then God enables you to bring life, to bless other people, to bring healing into their lives, to bring encouragement. Often the Apostle Paul would talk about the refreshing of other believers. He would talk about how he had been replenished by other believers. He would talk about how other people had ministered to him. And when we look at Jesus, we see him as being a model of generosity for us. And so Paul would write these words. He said, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, and your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you. In other words, I'm not ordering you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty... He could make you rich. Would you underline that for your sakes in your outline this morning? For your sakes, he became poor. Why did Jesus? Now, think for just a moment. We're getting ready to enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday where all of us hopefully will do more than eat and watch football. But with our families and friends, we will gather and we will give thanks to God for his blessings. We will give thanks to God for his provision, for protecting us, for giving us all that we need for life. But why at a specific time did Jesus become poor? Why at a specific time did Jesus give away all that he had? Why did he divest himself of his resources and become poor for our sake? What's the reason that Jesus did that? Because in giving of himself, he would bring life to others. And in bringing life to others, he would bring, we could bring life to other people as well. Look at this verse. You must have the same attitude. Now, he's speaking of in light of relationships, relationship of marriage, relationship with your children, relationship with your neighbors and with your family. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. That's where it all began. That's why Jesus did it. Jesus is in heaven. He's enjoying all the comforts of heaven. He's enjoying all the joys of heaven. He's enjoying all that heaven means in the presence of God as he is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He comes to this planet. He's born to peasant parents. He's born and put into a feeding trough as we'll be looking at during the Christmas holiday. And that's not enough that he's born to peasant parents, but he, he grows up in a, in a home where evidently he loses his father when he's in his teen years. And he lives 33 years as, a, as a, either a carpenter 
And then three years of that, he lived as this traveling itinerant rabbi, teaching, bringing life, bringing healing, bringing encouragement, telling people how to be saved and how to be born again. He does all of that. And then as if that was not enough, then Jesus humbles himself and he dies for your sins and my sins upon the cross so that we could be born again. Jesus is so poor, the Bible says, that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And so when people say, Lord, I want to follow you, he looks at them and says, you know, I want you to follow me, but before you follow me, you need to understand, I don't even have a place to lay my head tonight. It's not the kind of leader that we often attach ourselves to. For in our culture, and our society, we look at the rich, we look at the powerful, we look at the famous, and we say, we want to be powerful like them. We want to be rich like them. We want to be famous or have the fame that they have. But Jesus became poor for you and I. And then Paul goes on to answer our question of why he did this. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 9. Though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor. Read this with me. It's on the screen. So that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now what does he mean by that? That he could make you rich. I don't pretend to understand what all of that entails. When I read that, I find myself journaling, looking through the Bible. I find myself going, in what ways does God make us rich? Obviously, God makes us rich. He, he saves us. He forgives us of our sins, something we could never do for ourselves. He washes us by his blood. All morning long, I've been singing that song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. He comes and he fills our hearts with the presence of his Holy Spirit. God lives within you and I. He comes, he makes us rich in relationships and our families families and in the church. He comes and he's rich in answering our prayers. We looked at seven thematic themes that we can pray daily or once a day in our midweek service this week. And what a powerful discussion we had afterwards as we talked about hindrances to prayer and helps to prayer and what these themes mean. But God didn't just give us spiritual riches. Look at this next verse. Since, and I'm looking at Romans 8, 32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us, say it with me, everything else? And again, I have no idea what that everything else is. I just know that I wrote in my Bible and I put a little arrow out beside it years ago, unlimited possibilities. Unlimited possibilities that he would give us everything else. I just know that Jesus Christ has more in store for us than what we've experienced. I know there's more to this thing called Christianity than what any of us have ever experienced before. I know that God is tremendously generous. I know that God is a giver. I know that God not only forgives our sins, but he gives us new life. But I do know from reading and looking at the life of Jesus that he begins with me modeling my life and you modeling your life. And those of you watching online, modeling your lives after Jesus Christ. It means taking the time, the talent, the treasure, and the testimony that God has blessed you with 
And investing that and giving that, it's what we call four-dimensional living. And so the question that I have to ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself this morning, is how do I respond to what Jesus is saying to us through the Word of God? Am I living with an overwhelming sense of gratitude in my life? Am I living with this overwhelming sense that the more that I follow Jesus, the more like Jesus I will become? This week, somebody asked me, said, what do you think it really means to follow Jesus Christ? I said, it's very simple. To follow Jesus Christ means that every single day I am trusting, not through any works of my own, but the Holy Spirit is making me more like Jesus. And then the question was, how do you see that taking place? I say, the more I learn to give and not take from life, the more I'm becoming like Jesus. And I hope that resonates with you the way it resonated with the people I was talking to. You see, I want to be like the Jordan River. I want to bring life. I want to bring healing. I want to bring refreshing. I want to bring encouragement. I want to be like that Jordan River. I don't want to be like the Dead Sea that is constantly receiving from God his blessings, that life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus described it as a river of life that flows out from you and I. I don't want to be like the Dead Sea, receiving from God, but never giving back life and encouragement and refreshing to others. So there are two things I'd like to suggest to you this morning. Is Number one, the more grateful you are, the more generous you'll become. You see, gratitude leads to generosity. Grateful people are just generous people. Grateful people are people who learn to give to their neighbors, to the poor. They're just giving people. So the second thing I'd like to suggest is that you start a gratitude journal. That every single day, and I've told you before how in my journal I try to write at least three things that I'm thankful about Becky. This week we were having dinner, and um, I, I forget exactly what I said to Becky and she looked at me, and she said, there's so much about me you don't know. So later that night, I looked at her with the best look I could give her, with the most love in my eyes I could communicate. And I said, what don't I know? And she says, you'll have to discover that for yourself. Come on, victory. <laughs> and I think God is saying to some of you this morning, I think God is speaking to your heart. I think God's speaking to some. Do you know last week we had three, we had we almost, tw if we'd had 12 more people, there'd have been 400 people between being here at church and watching online last week during the service. So can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, people are starting to come back to church. They're starting to feel comfortable. More people are watching as you like and share. So please like and share right now on YouTube and Facebook so that others will know. But brothers and sisters, here's what I'm saying to you this morning. There's more to God. And the more you love him, you're not satisfied. I want to know what I don't know about my wife. I, I want to discover. I want to keep growing in our love and our relationship. There's more to marriage than what Becky and I have discovered. And there's more to God. And the more grateful you are, the more you'll know about Jesus Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? 
Ann Voskamp, who I discovered just a couple of years ago, she wrote a book called 1,000 Gifts, and if you've never read any of her stuff, you would, you would enjoy it, not just if you're a lady, but if you're a man as well. But she talks in one of her books of how she was always taught in 1,000 Gifts, how she was always taught to be grateful by her parents, by her pastor. She said, but I really didn't discover gratitude until I began to journal every day what I saw that I could give glory to God for. And the title of her book comes because she kept a running list of all the things that she was grateful for. You know, if you and I can't list a thousand things that we're grateful for this morning, we haven't really begun to explore how good and how great God is. Because there's more than a thousand things. So ask yourself today, in your journal, what are you grateful to God for? And then the second thing is love is my motivation for generosity. Love for God, love for, love for my neighbor, love for my family. This verse right here, look at this, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 8. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Would you underline that phrase, how genuine your love is? You see, what Paul is challenging the church to do is to be more generous, but he's not commanding, he's not demanding, he's not ordering anybody to do this. You can't force people to become givers. Some people might give out of guilt, but guilt never lasts. Some people might give out of fear, because, but fear never lasts. But what is the eternal motivation? What will last and last and last is when you love. When you love, you just naturally give. See, generosity and giving, it must come from within us because we have a heart of love. And the more we love God and the more we love one another, then the more we give. And what Paul does here is interesting. He compares the Corinthian church to the Macedonian church. Now, just so you understand, the Corinthian church would be more like the American church. The American church who doesn't live in poverty the way most of the rest of the world does. The Macedonians lived in abject poverty. The Macedonians were the third world people. They were the people who were being severely persecuted. And so what he does is he says, they, if you'll look with me at the next verse, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Do you know what people who study generosity have discovered? Now listen, this is important. People that study generosity have found the more financially successful people become, the less they give. 90% of all charitable giving in the United States of America comes from the church. 90% of all charitable giving comes from the church. Yes, somebody's clapping. We should give the Lord a hand of praise for that. That's an incredible testimony. Unfortunately, you don't hear about that on the media. 
You might hear when one billionaire or one multimillionaire makes a significant gift. You might hear when there's an emotional appeal and somebody gives $50 or $100 and they're very poor. But 90% of the charitable giving in America comes from the consistent, faithful giving of people who love God, love their church, love their neighbor, love missions, and love the poor, and they're constantly giving to the Lord. Some of our young people are giving more over an annum, over a year, than some wealthy people give over an entire year. And it's something we have to pause and think about. Because a tax, motive, a tax deduction is not the same as a motivation of love. And somebody coming along because it will make your company look good or it will make you look good, that's not the same as a motivation of love. That's your self-interest. But when you love God... And you do what this church has done. You've dug wells so that thirsty people could have clean drinking water. You've built hospitals. You've built clinics. You've built churches. You've built schools. You've educated people. You've fed people. You've put pastors through, I almost said through prison. You've put pastors through Bible college. You have taken around the world. You've provided vehicles. You've provided emergency relief support, even for our enemies, for people who hate us and want to see us destroyed, we've provided emergency relief for them. It's because of people who love God that the world is blessed. The church is like a Jordan River when it's being more like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Unfortunately, people, the more financially wealthy they become, they become more like the Dead Sea. Receiving, receiving, receiving but never giving. And because of that, nothing lives. Because of that, nobody builds a home around them. Because of that, the only people that want to go are the gawkers. Because if you go to the Dead Sea, you don't see houses, you don't see beach resorts, but you see a place where tourists to Israel come, and they go and they bob up and down in the Red Dead Sea so that they can say they've had the experience like I opened up this message with this morning. Because nobody wants to live at the Dead Sea because it's dead. I'm so proud of this congregation. We give so that people can get to know Jesus. We give and we bless others. We're a life-giving church. But the most desperate need that people have is not for drinking water. It's not for food. It's not for an education. It's not for houses and shelter. Do you remember when Christopher was overseas and working in Nepal. The boy spent one solid year doing nothing but rebuilding houses, building houses and schools and putting in water treatment plants, going to South Africa, building orphanages, going to Belize and building a youth camp and rescuing a youth camp that had sunk down, going to Cuba before President Obama made it legal to go to Cuba to keep the communist government from taking over a church's property because of some agreement that they had and was able because of his architectural skills and plotting out the land so that Castro didn't take over that piece of land from the church and take it away from them. 
It's things like that that missionaries are doing every single day that this church supports around the world. And they're empowered to do it, not only because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because people like you give. But the most important thing they need, and I bring up Christopher because I can remember him calling home sometime and talking about the spiritual poverty and people not knowing Jesus and the desperate need for more missionaries and people to hear and trying to get into a part of Nepal where it was actually illegal for him to go so he could share Jesus Christ. I said, son, be careful. There is no, there is no diplomatic help. You need to be careful. You're not trained for this yet. And he's saying, Dad, they've never heard about Jesus Christ. And when we picked that gaunt kid up at the airport when he came home, there was never a prouder mother or a prouder father, and I believe a prouder church. And when that boy came home after two years of serving overseas, made possible because people like you and from other churches gave so they can go. Our giving makes a difference in the world. But when people have enough from God, then they also discover, as the Bible says, they have plenty left over to share. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise this morning? That's what God does. You have helped us reach out around the world to our media ministry. I am just always shocked by what's happening and people hearing. Last night, over 70 people joined us for prayer last night. You know, we used to dream of having maybe 25 people that would come and join us for Saturday night prayer here at the church. And sometimes we've had over 100 people joining us online for prayer on Saturday evenings. And I hope if you have it, you will take at least part of that hour and join us for prayer on Saturday nights and help us bear the burden of prayer for our community up. And you've got time to do that. Do what I do. I pause the football games and then I go watch them after the prayer service is over. And I found out Georgia's won more games by doing that. So I don't know if there's any connection, but we are on top right now. Just thought I'd toss that in there. But now we need to do more. And so every year we take a Christmas offering. Every year we take an offering to help with missions, to help with some project here at the church, and to help in our community. I was praying this year. I said, Lord, I just think we need to call this something different than the Christmas offering. Help me. And I couldn't come up with a name. I asked the staff. Nobody came up with a name. And then a few days ago, I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, and it just, I don't know if I was dreaming or what, but it was like, call it the joyful noise. And so this year, our Christmas offering is just simply going to be known as the joyful noise. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. And Isn't that a beautiful slide? Pastor Mark made that for us. The Bible says that even the feet of those who take the gospel overseas is good news. And this week in the mail, you're going to be receiving a packet, a letter from me. In there is going to be a small gift from Becky and I because I want everybody to give. It's not from the church. Becky and I are beginning our investing in this offering by giving to you because I want everybody to have something to give to the Joyful Noise Christmas offering this year. And so in that packet, you're going to read about how we're going to use it for missions, how we're going to use it to to put a new sound system in this church so we can give the 
children's ministry sound system back to them. These speakers have just failed us and can't be rehabilitated, and so we're putting a new sound system into the church. We're expanding our outreach through something called Church Online and a whole new service that hope that we will have in place as people give at the turn of the year where we will have chat hosts, we will have people able to pray live with others who are engaging. We will know when people are crossing the line if they'll simply, there's a little emoji thing you can raise your hand upon there. We will be able to engage more with our viewing audience that's happening. We will also be able to take, and we're going to be blessing ministries like Convoy of Hope and Bread of Life because people like you are giving. And this is above your tithes and offering. You see, we won't give more, although I'm grateful that the church is starting to all come back together. Listen, this is important. We won't give more because we get bigger. We will give more because our love gets bigger. If our love gets bigger, we will give more because we know we have enough. And then finally this morning, my goal is always excellence. My goal is always excellence. I love watching this team on the... I've, I've watched Haley, I've watched you grow and... I watched you worship this morning. Honey, you bring so much joy to my heart just worshiping with you. I've watched Christy O'Connor grow as he worships the Lord. I have watched, you know, I have watched as I've seen our, our musicians. Dan, you were always good, but now you're a worship leader. You were a good musician and a good singer, but now you just lead us in worship and Addison I can't see you right now but Addison I can remember when he first started and now Addison is worshiping and is growing and increasing I love watching people learn to excel I love watching golfers as they get better. I, I love watching athletes as they get better. I, I love watching actors as they improve. I like watching our church as we get better at becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I like watching us go hard after God. I like being part of a church that will celebrate God's love by deciding we want to become excellent in worship. We want to become excellent in evangelism. We want to become excellent in discipleship. We want to become excellent in generosity. If you believe that, say amen this morning. We want to do that. That's what God has called us to do. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul says, I want you to excel in everything. If you're good with computers, I want you to excel in it. If you're good with business, I want you to excel in it. If you're good with, with marketing, I want you to excel in it. But I also want you to excel in this grace of giving. So, my question is this. If you're not good at giving, listen. If you're not good at giving, what are you really good at? If you're not good at giving, what are you really good at? You can biologically father a child. You can biologically birth a child. But if you're not good at giving, 
you'll never be a mother or father. You can build a business, but if you're not good at giving, you will never bless the community you're in. You'll take from the community and you'll send it out somewhere else. You may be an excellent preacher, but if you're not good at giving, you're not really a pastor. You see, giving is what God has called us to do. So where do I begin? First of all, just become a first-time giver. Just become a first-time giver. If you've never given before, just give. And I'm not talking about the loose change in your pocket or even a single out of your billfold. John Rockefeller said, and he was probably one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. If you want to read an interesting book, read the book Titan. John Rockefeller said, if I had never given the first dollar, I would have never been able to give away millions of dollars. If you've never given a significant gift, what I want you to do is today. Don't wait till this service kind of wears off. Give God, some, give God at least what you paid to get your hair cut. Give God at least what you paid to go to the hairdresser this week. Give God at least what you paid for your Netflix or your Hulu or your cable television. Start somewhere, but become a first-time giver because every journey starts with a first step. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in, or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Secondly, become a regular giver. Sometimes people give from emotion. Sometimes people give from guilt. And when they give from emotion or guilt or fear, then they don't give for a long time. They're never like the Jordan River that is constantly bringing life to others. You see, you and I are constantly receiving blessings from God. It may be a paycheck, it may be a retirement fund, but somewhere God is constantly blessing and replenishing us financially. And if we're going to be like the Jordan River, we're learning to give. I'll say it again. Some of our teenagers give more than some of our adults because they tithe off of these minimum wage jobs that they have. And to keep the river healthy, you have to keep channeling your gifts downstream. And here's, my, here's, here's what I've always said for, for almost 23 years. Give for three months, and if you don't feel like God is blessing you, stop giving. If you don't feel like God is taking care of you, stop giving. If, you, if after three months when you begin to give, if God's not blessing you, just stop. Nobody, I don't look at your giving records. I won't know. Just give because God has been good to you. My heart overflows with joy when I think of how you showed your love to me by your financial support of my ministry. You're not giving to my ministry. You're giving to the work of God through this church. And then thirdly, become a tither. If you're a regular giver, then bump it up to the tithe. God says we're supposed to bring. God says we're supposed to bring the first 10% to him. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 1, this is not just a place for people to meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. This is a place where we gather as a family of God to meet with him and he meets with us. God says in Malachi 3.8 that if we give him a, a less than a tenth of our income, then we're robbing God. I do not want to get on my knees when I need to pray for my grandson Josiah, when I need to pray for you. I don't need to come to that place when I stand at your hospital bed and go to pray for you and then the Holy Spirit say to me, Dennis, you're robbing from me. You're not bringing the tithe. 
When I come to God, I want to come as an obedient son or daughter. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. This is God's challenge to you this morning. God says, if you'll bring the tithe to me, I'll open up the windows of heaven on you in such a way that you will not be able to contain it. That may not mean financial blessings. It can be. It certainly has been in my life. But it's so many other things in my life that have nothing to do that money could not buy. There are so many blessings in my life that you couldn't give me, the world couldn't give me, science couldn't give me, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, almost said Bill Trump. What's it? Donald Trump. Do you know he texts me every week asking me for money? I feel so sorry for him. He texts me every week asking for money. That billionaire needs my help. I haven't helped him, but he's asking for it. You see, that all the armies and all the kings of this world, God has given me things that no one else could give me. He's given me more blessings than I can contain. And then finally this morning, I'm sorry, I just, when I contemplate how good God is, let's learn to become extravagant givers. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer, that becomes bread for your meals, is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives robust in God. This week, a beloved man from this congregation went to heaven. Webb breathed his last breath at home this week and went right into the presence of God. When I met with his family this week, I found out that Webb was very generous man. I always knew that, though I have no idea what he gave. I know he was always ready to help. And just like you said, there's so much I don't know about you. I found out things from his family this week that I didn't know about Webb. Our relationship goes back a long time. But when Webb closed his eyes, and by the way, let me tell you this, there's not another man outside of anybody in my family that has told me he loved me as often and showed it as often as Webb Gray did. He was a generous man. And when he closed his eyes, and he opened his eyes in the presence of God. Do you think he had any regrets? Do you think he had any sorrow? Do you think there's some chance that all Webb can do is fall on his knees, not remembering what he did, but thanking God for what he did for him?
You see, your greatest need, my greatest need this morning is not for more money, more food, more shelter, more anything. My greatest need is for Jesus Christ to save me from my sins and to give me brand new life in Him. And when I trust Him for that, He makes me a brand new person. Would you stand with me this morning? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we all, I speak to you in behalf of this congregation. Every one of us want to become like the Jordan River. So wherever we're at, God, wherever we're at in our pilgrimage and our walk with you, help us to look at these four steps. You want to make us Jordan River people, living water people, not Dead Sea people. Help us to know where we can start and not finish until we become extravagant givers of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, and of our testimony. And Father, while I'm speaking about testimony, if someone's watching or someone's here today and they've never crossed the line to give their hearts to Jesus, would you touch them right now? <laughs> Convict them, Lord, that what I preached is truth this morning, that their most important need is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning, would you just simply pray this prayer with me? If you're here, you don't have to pray it out loud. If you're online watching, you pray it with me. Just, just pray it simple like this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for sending Jesus who became poor for my sake that my sins might be forgiven that you might live in my heart, make me a brand new person so that you could make me incredibly rich. For it's in your holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, may the Lord God himself, who raised our Savior Christ Jesus from the dead on the third day, May he bless you. May he fill you afresh and anew with his Holy Spirit. May he send you out of here like the Jordan River, bringing life to everyone you touch. And may you be prosperous and productive in everything you do. God bless you. Have a great day.